You're listening to Mapping Online Hate in Canada, hosted by the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies. The Institute is Canada's leading think tank working at the intersection of human rights, conflict, and emerging technologies. In this series, we will be interviewing experts and looking into the relationship between online hate and offline violence. Hello, this is Kyle Matthews of the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies. I'm very pleased today to have with us uh, Mr. Adama Dieng. Uh, Mr. Dieng is the uh, UN Secretary General's Special Advisor for the Prevention of Genocide. Uh, Adama, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Mr. Dieng, I'd like to maybe start with a question. There's a lot of focus on hate speech today, and people are starting to see it from a wider perspective. But, but I would like to get down to, to the basics with you. What is the link between hate speech and genocide prevention? Let me first say that uh, one of the key lessons I've learned from past Century 5 is that these crimes do not happen by accident or overnight. Rather, they, over time, they are uh, preceded by early warning signs. And uh, as you may know, uh, my office has uh, highlighted early warning sign in the uh, framework of analysis and so on for times to be issued uh, in uh, And I say that I really think that Jennifer Welsh was part of that process which led to adoption of the framework, which is now being by um, member state, by the UN, by society actors. And it is available in our website. And I think we uh, highlight certain risk factors associated with atrocities. And one of them associated with the risk of these crimes, I mean, the crime of genocide in particular, is existence of hate speech. Existence of hate speech, existence of discrimination on the basis of identity. And I think that is something we have to really pay attention. We all know that uh, in past instances of genocide, uh, of this crime was seeded by hate speech, by incitement to violence, discrimination, dehumanization, uh, and uh, this is we have seen it. Uh, we have seen it in uh, Rwanda, we saw it in Srebrenica, but we also know that the Holocaust did not happen overnight. It started with discrimination, dehumanization, and hate speech against the Jewish population. And this years before the Holocaust happened. And that is why I always say, let's not forget science. And for instance, what I'm seeing today around the world, this rise of anti-Semitism, anti-Muslim, all forms of dehumanization we need to inhabit. And uh, that is why, for me, an effective uh, genocide prevention means identifying and addressing these risk factors within our societies. And let me be clear, there is no society that is immune to the risk of genocide. And one of the important ways we can do uh, is to address the causes and impact of hate. And this is particularly important, as I said earlier uh, today, when we are seeing an increase xenophobia, racism, intolerance, violent uh, misogyny, and as well the anti-Semitism and anti-Muslim around the world, uh, this increase in and spread of hate is extremely alarming. And I have on several occasions raised uh, concern about it. And uh, hate speech may not lead to genocide tomorrow, but uh, by promoting this hate 
they are allowing the seeds of division and exclusion to take root in our societies. And this helps uh, create an environment which is conducive uh, to the production of Afro-Stamps. And therefore, we must confront it with wherever we see it, be it in Canada, be it in the United States, in Senegal, wherever it is addressed. And the best antidote to hate is compassion, is respect for diversity, and the promotion of peaceful uh, coexistence. These building societies that are just peaceful, inclusive, are set out in the Sustainable Development Goal 16, that we can achieve prevention of atrocity crimes, including the crime of genocide. Adama, so, so you gave a wide, I think, very fascinating perspective of this, and particularly reminding the Holocaust, which we just came on the 75th anniversary of, of the, the end of World War II, so I think it's timely. But I'm wondering, uh, what, was there an, 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 an event or something that spurred the UN to create this framework? Was there something that happened in the world that all of you leaders of the UN said, now we have to work on this? Or is this coming from the longstanding work of your office? Well, I mean, I should say that uh, we have seen an alarming increase uh, in the use of pride of speech globally. No, and I was very pleased that in Canada, measures were taken to consider as terrible the white supremacists, the neo-Nazis, because we cannot tolerate such a thing happening today. And I hope that in a country like the United States, such measure would be taken uh, sooner than later. But what we are also seeing is this uh, alarming increase is contributing to growing divisions between nations and peoples uh, and triggering human rights violations and violence in all regions. Uh, in some instances, a hateful rhetoric also by political leaders contributing to legitimizing the resurgence of far-right movement and their racist and violent ideology. Hate speech is also having a negative impact on United Nations values and programs, as well as on international norms and standards. And we unfortunately even see its impact now uh, in the COVID-19 pandemic, where certain communities, in particular ethnic and religious minorities, are being vilified and falsely accused of spreading virus making them a target of awful hatred and in some instances, even physical violence. And it was concern uh, for the resurgence of hate speech that led the Secretary General in January 2019 to the United Nations task to develop the UN strategy plan of action uh, to address hate speech. And this strategy, which is a system-wide document to the organization's commitment to increase its action, address, and counter hate speech. It recognizes that hate speech is an attack on tolerance, inclusion, diversity, and human rights. And it also recognizes that hate speech undermines social cohesion and can lay the foundation for violence. Its implementation is therefore a concern to the UN system as a whole. And the objective of the strategy and plan of action is to address both the causes and impact of a hate speech. It is anchored uh, in several key principles 
and most importantly, respect for freedom of opinion and freedom of expression. So, uh, Adama, I think it's very ambitious what you're doing and for the UN to engage on this. You talked a bit about how you're starting to implement um, this across the UN, the entire UN system. Who are the main actors in the UN that, that can really help your office uh, implement this plan? Is it, is it UNESCO? Is it, is it UN human rights uh, agencies? Who, who has the most important role in this whole in this whole UN system, which is quite large? Uh, I, I well, as I said earlier, my office serves as the uh, focal point on hate speech in the UN. But as part of this responsibility, of course, uh, supporting the implementation of the UN strategy on hate speech within the entire UN system, uh, including to enhance uh, internal coordination and partnership. We are working very closely with UNESCO, with the High Commissioner for Human Rights, and two partners, but also with other institutions. I mean, there are uh, about uh, 15 United Nations entities from uh, those I listed. Then you have to the High Commissioner for Refugees, UNICEF, UN Women of Counter Terrorism. I can name them uh, all. So uh, we are providing support to those entities. So part of the working on hate speech to develop entity specific uh, plans of action on addressing and countering hate speech. I mean, first, we are providing support to uh, United Nations field policies upon request. And two, we are just about to finalize detailed guidance for the UN field presidency on implementation of the strategy. And the guidance will be shared, of course, with United Nations country teams, peace operations, and special and the third, we, in the context of the COVID pandemic, has exacerbated existing hate speech trends, have developed a guidance note on COVID-19 related hate speech. The note provides recommendations to the United Nations, member states, religious, civil society, media, and other actors, including influencers and civic and religious leaders, on addressing and countering hate speech. Uh, related to the ongoing pandemic. And uh, we also, of course, uh, with uh, UNESCO, as I said, the key partner, we are organizing a global ministerial conference on education to prevention, uh, and which will, which will focus on counting uh, hate speech through education. Because at the end of the day, when it hit uh, genocide, Holocaust, we need to really educate our uh, people uh, to education to Holocaust, education to the prevention of genocide, that is key. The same also when it comes to HP5, we are uh, embarking in this plan, which is a conference which was announced by the Secretary General during the launch of the uh, strategy in June 2019, uh, and uh, wouldn't uh, we have facing this pandemic, it would have taken place uh, coming due, uh, but uh, hopefully let's hope that before the end of the year, but in the meantime, uh, with UNESCO, we are convening uh, an expert meeting, uh, which will take place virtually uh, in the mid-May uh, 2020, and among other issues, we'll discuss practices and recommendations for member states 
on using education as a tool to address hate speech. So, Adama, one of the reasons I think we're also seeing a rise of hate speech um, is partly due to new digital technologies. Um, as you know, in, in Rwanda, the lead up to the genocide, radio was used to incite violence and demonize minorities. But today, anybody with a, with a smartphone and a social media account can engage in hateful acts and on hate speech online. So I'm wondering um, how much of the online aspect of hate speech um, is the UN uh, looking to focus on in the future? Well, uh, as you rightly pointed, we all remember the uh, Radio de Mille Colline, Radio Hate. I mean, uh, we also remember, as I was saying much earlier, the uh, uh, spread of uh, uh, hate speech preceded the Holocaust. So uh, I keep repeating that the Holocaust did not start with the gas chambers. And the Holocaust, the, the genocide, that did not start with the Nazis. It started with hate speech. When uh, a group, members of a group are targeted you know, and dehumanized, named after animals' name, that is one of the most serious signs. And this uh, what happened in what I was online. But today, the risk is very serious. We have seen what happened in Myanmar, where social media were used by military spreading hatred against the Rohingya population. And today, while the tech sector is playing an increasingly crucial and uh, global role in filtering and moderating online content, effectively determining uh, what appears in public space, social media have become uh, powder kegs for hate and uh, for stigmatization, discrimination, and in certain circumstances, the spreading of hateful messages. I mentioned it earlier, the case of Rwanda is a full uh, textbook, if I can mention like that. We are also facing disinformation, disinformation through those platforms which may put people's lives at risk. And this is why two out of 13 commitments in the UN strategy and plan of action on hate speech spell directly important address hate speech in social media and the need for relevant United Nations entities to engage with digital tech companies. And more specifically, the UN has a pledge to strengthen partnership and traditional media address hate speech narratives and promote the values of tolerance, non-discrimination, pluralism, and freedom of opinion and expression, and as well as to keep up technological innovation and encourage more research on the relationship between the misuse of the internet and social media for spreading hate speech and the factors that drive individuals towards violence. And uh, to uh, honor these commitments, uh, as a central point on hate speech, uh, my office is organizing a virtual round table with tech and social companies uh, to discuss the specific role on, uh, and their contribution uh, in the implementation of the UN uh, strategy and plan of action on hate speech. I'm glad to announce that uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Google have confirmed their attendance uh, at the roundtable, which will be taking place uh, early June uh, 
uh, this year, a couple of weeks. I also would like to add that uh, online uh, speech should not only be a concern for the United Nations, but for all actors engaged in efforts to prevent atrocity crimes, including member states, regional and multilateral organizations, civil society, media, uh, academic institutions like uh, yours. I mean, we all have a responsibility. And as uh, we can see in our framework of analysis, uh, hate speech can be an indicator for atrocity crimes, an indicator for genocide crimes against humanity and and in its most serious form, incitement to violence. And it can also trigger these crimes. And uh, that's why I urge all these actors to uh, partner with the United Nations in, in addressing and countering hate speech, including online. And I'm very pleased that uh, you as an academic institution is playing a key role and we need to continue the strengthening our partnership. I think it's wonderful news, uh, Adama, that your office is working with the tech companies. Um, I think we need to break down these silos and, and there are a lot of solutions with the tech companies. And, and my, my colleagues at our institute, we created the Digital Mass Atrocity Prevention Lab over six years ago because we, we began to see how uh, social media was being exploited by, by nefarious actors with, with ill intent. My last question to you, you've talked about the tech sector and, and how um, academic institutions can help the UN in your office. I'm wondering, what can national governments and NGOs do to help you in advancing um, the hate speech framework? Well, I mean, first, let's remember one thing. A hate speech is like a virus that is infecting our societies uh, and no country is immune from it and uh, defeating it entails increasing cooperation among peoples and nations and this means that addressing and countering hate not a task united can accomplish alone but we all have and most of the meaningful action in this regard will be taken by governments regional and multilateral organizations, private companies, media, religious, and other civil society actors. And it is my deepest belief, and that of the United Nations, that partnership is essential to a comprehensive and sustainable implementation of the UN strategy and plan of action on HPV. And this is why one of the core commitments highlighted uh, in this document focuses on the specific aspect. And in particular, the UN strategy uh, and part of hate speech calls the United Nations to establish strengthened partnerships with relevant stakeholders and makes reference to existing UN policies that can help in this regard, including the Rabat Plan of Action on the prohibition of advocacy of national, racial, or religious hatred uh, that constitutes incitement, hosting, and violence is a very important develop series of meetings, uh, consultation, action of rights, which culminate at hence the Rabat Plan of Action, a plan of action uh, for religious leaders at incitement specific plans developed uh, by my office also through a long process and was launched in uh, 2017, July, sorry, July 2017 by the at that time, and which is being now implemented in many countries. We have also the, the, the method guiding principles. 
uh, as well as the uh, plan of action to prevent violent extremism. Uh, in fact, I should say that NARF is also the use of counterterrorism. See how also we can help and particularly addressing it. And this is uh, in preventing uh, violent extremism. Uh, and we should also mention the Secretary General's strategy on new technology. And that is why I cannot but reiterate my call relevant actors operating that strategy and action on hate speech. If we are serious about leaving no one behind. We have no other option but join hands in the fight against this global school. And I always say that when no one left behind, it is not only about developing countries, it's about also those uh, countries which are developed. It is concerned the United States. How many people are left behind in this country? It concerned Canada. So that means simply to bring back you know, the human being at the center of development because it is unacceptable today people are being excluded people are have no access to housing people are dying of hunger has to stop and we need their comes uh, fighting it's each get together so that no one uh, I'd like to thank you for taking time to join us. Uh, once again, you're doing such important work. Um, we're going to share your knowledge here in Canada with the Canadian government and members of parliament, NGOs, and um, and we, we thank you again for taking time to talk to us. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. We are together. <laughs>